and welcome to the Library Cafe. I'm Thomas Hill. My guest on the program today is the artist Robert Kipnis. Robert is a painter, printmaker, poet, and novelist. He's the author of the memoir Robert Kipnis, A Working Artist's Life, published by the University Press of New England in 2011. He and his wife, the writer Lori Lyle, who we've spoken to on the show in the past, have graciously invited me to their home on the Green in Sharon, Connecticut, where we're recording this interview. Hello, Robert. Hello, Tom. Yeah. Very glad to be here. I'm delighted to be here, too. So, beautiful home. I'm really excited to go out and see Laurie's garden, finally, but uh, we'll do that after the interview. So, I, w- I want to talk about your life as an artist, generally, and also about your novella, Shine. And I expect the best entry point was through your memoir that we have in front of us here, uh, Robert Kipnis, A Working Artist's Life. So, I guess the first question is, what inspired you to write a memoir? Well, I look back on my life, and I've been asked a lot of questions. I've had literally hundreds, maybe thousands of shows, hundreds of one-man shows, Uh thousands of group shows over a period of 70 years. So I'm asked a lot of questions. After answering the questions, I began to see a pattern, obviously, and I saw that there was a story there. And I Uh said, you know, this might be interesting. Let me write it. If it's not interesting, I can throw it away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. If it's interesting, yeah, I'll send it out and see what happens. Uh-huh. I sent it out, and within five days, I got an answer uh-huh. from this New England University of New England Press. Yeah. That's great. And they wanted to publish yeah. it just like that. Yeah, it's a nice imprint, and that it's a serious academic imprint and wonderful art department. I remember the uh, the was it the publisher who mm-hmm. called me, I mean, it wasn't the editor, uh, someone there called me and said, I like your book, uh-huh. I want to buy it. <laughs> That's great, okay, great. So, And it's a wonderful window into what the life of an artist was like in the time that you came up and, and how hard it well, was. Well, it was and, very difficult yeah. uh, at that time yeah. because the art world was really in a vice-like grip of abstract expressionism. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Every review in the New York Times began with the name of the artist and the fact that he had been a student of Hans Hoffman. I mean, that, that yeah. was the entry, uh-huh. yeah. and I had none of that. Yeah, interesting. Um, Laurie's biography of... You know, Louise Nelson starts out with Nelson studying under Hoffman, doesn't it? So, I mean, yeah. everybody studied under Hoffman. But he had a stranglehold. Yeah. All his students were selling and exhibiting, and all the curators thought he was the cat's meow. Yeah. And I thought he was the other end of the cat. <laughs> So anyway, in the introduction to the memoir, you mentioned that you were working on it a long time and you put it away for a long time, that you, you had meant to do this when you were younger, right? I meant to yeah. do it, and then it just it didn't make sense to me. I just it wasn't gripped by the project, uh-huh. and I put it aside. Yeah. But by the time I took it up again, much more had happened, uh-huh. and my career had evolved, yeah. and I had evolved. Uh-huh. So earlier in your career, you did a number of self-portraits. Uh, you know, I, I've seen your self-portraits, and they seem to be mostly, at least the ones, uh, even, even the ones in the book here, mostly from your, the early part of your career. I don't see a lot of self-portraits in your later work, although I may be wrong. No. But, you know, so the question is, does the memoir serve the purpose of a, of a self-portrait in some way? I mean, does it do the same work? Does it come from the same place? No. No, it doesn't, no. no. I think writing the memoir was more probing. Uh-huh. much more getting deep into me. Yes, maybe a self-portrait does, but historically, most artists' self-portraits were done in their youth. Uh-huh. Degas uh-huh. did some in his yeah. youth. Many artists did self-portraits. Some artists did self-portraits through their career, yeah, like Rembrandt, Van Gogh, yeah. uh, or late in life, like Rembrandt, yeah. but most self-portraits are youthful expressions. So does the book come from the same place as your painting is part of that question. Being an artist, I think an artist sort of just draws from his character. It just comes out. It's in his line. It's in the way that his approach to pencil and paper or paint has evolved. But writing, you really tend to think more in terms of time, Mm -hmm. in terms of events, uh, the passing of time, family, friends, lovers... Yeah. Enemies. Yeah. <laughs> Enemies, yeah. yeah. Well, you've got words to formulate with writing, of course, and you don't have that with painting, it's no, something no. else. Yeah. So. The enemies, so 
in some way, this memoir reminded me of the classic memoir that everybody's always threatening to write, you know, <laughs> especially artists who well, are having difficult deal- I, I dealings with, with their gallerists. Uh, uh, you know, I mentioned anyway, yeah. enemies, you know, it, uh, you yeah. can't succeed without some people resenting it. Uh-huh. I had many artist friends when I was unsuccessful who were also unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. And as I succeeded, they couldn't understand why why you, you know. Yeah, there's a competitiveness there. Very, I there? didn't yeah. know that because I never yeah. felt competitive. Felt that, yeah. I just never felt that. Uh-huh. You mentioned in the introduction to the memoir that time has allowed you to see events in perspective, essentially, where you couldn't see what was happening when things were actually happening, but with time, you, know, you do see patterns. And I suppose the question here is, uh, is this something that art is about? I mean, not just writing, but also painting and drawing. A way of knitting things together in a way so that you make sense of them. So that, you know, this is a following up on the question as you're writing and you're painting or you're drawing come from the same place in a way. And that you are making sense of things when you're painting, right? I mean, it seems to me you're making sense of your world when you paint. It seems to me you take it apart and you put it back together in, in an interesting way, so. Well... Painting, in a way, has a more formal structure than writing, Uh Uh or at least the way I would approach it. And, you know, uh, maybe if you're an abstract painter, it might not seem as clear, but I have something that I want to portray. I'm very moved by what I see. I'm very moved by the experience of seeing, Uh of perception, visual perception. It triggers emotional perception, emotional experience. So painting is very complicated. It's not just a picture. Uh And of course, to take up a life as an artist, nobody wants you to. Nobody's asking you to. The world isn't waiting <laughs> yeah. for you. Well, your parents were both artists, however, so they, well, they, they were didn't commercial artists. Commercial artists, yes. You know, my father did the layout of the Sears Rover catalog. Uh-huh. The hard goods were done in Chicago, uh-huh. and the two-thirds of that big catalog was done in New York. Uh-huh. The photographers had to be put in the book in a form, uh-huh. and so it uh-huh. had to be laid out, it had to be designed. Uh-huh. The book had to be designed yeah. so that the photographs would fit, uh-huh. and so the photographer would know what to do. Uh-huh. There were three major photography studios that did the Sears Robot catalog. There was Warsaw, Pagano and Becker, uh-huh. and they all wanted to get as many pages to photograph mm-hmm. from the Sears catalog as possible. My father was in charge of deciding, among other things, which studios got to photograph which pages. Uh-huh. So I wondered about the, your subtitle, Working Artist's Life. Your parents were both working artists in that way, and they were commercial artists. Well, they were commercial artists. Yeah, they were commercial I mean, artists. Uh, yeah. My father thought that the idea of my becoming a fine artist was sinful. It was wrong. And he disowned me. He not only disowned me, but while we had some sort of reconciliation, many years later when he died, his will stated that where the word children appears, it should not include Robert Kipnis because he had children from another marriage, a a subsequent marriage. And they received everything. Uh And... As so often happens with uh, someone who didn't earn the money, they blew it. This one guy, Uh my my oldest half-brother, blew it, and he's now working as a bartender in Seattle. You, however, developed a work ethic really early on. That's a really important part of this book, and it's an important part of your story as an artist, wasn't it? And it's a beautiful part of the book, honestly. I'm glad. I'm glad you feel that. even if it's something simple like making salads in a restaurant or... Uh, you, I did that. Yeah, and there was something else that was, while you were in college, you were working at a job where it was really hot in a restaurant, I remember, maybe... Uh, uh, those are awful jobs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, of course, when but you I, have I, no skill, that's the kind of job you get, dishwasher. Uh-huh, but I could sense the joy you had in being able to feed yourself and, and find a place to live and do it all on your own... Yeah, I had a little apartment in the basement of somebody's home, Uh a retired couple's home, and uh, I had my own separate entrance to the basement. Uh It was just a, I mean, it was really a 
Yeah. <laughs> next to the yeah. boiler, yeah. next to the furnace. So anyway, it's an interesting part of the book, that sense. Oh, I'm that glad. You there. Thank you. And not a person to blow everything that somebody else has given you, anyway. But no. anyway, your, your parents then didn't encourage you, did they? And, and from what I can no. tell, no. Th those passages are part of what make the book interesting. They read like a Dickens novel to some extent. I mean, uh, interesting, yeah. you know, especially your recollections of your childhood. A lot of verbal abuse and uh, distance and uh, beating. Your father's angry. Well, you, you describe it as his always having his jaw clenched. Yeah. Which yeah. is interesting. It's a visual image. He's a very, very that, angry guy. Brings that, yeah. He was also very small. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. He was stunted uh -huh. because they, he grew up in Paris and they were very poor. His father was a union organizer uh -huh. and he would disappear for weeks at a time. Uh -huh. So he grew up deprived. His mother took to the streets. Uh -huh to feed the children, yeah, and it was... Um, he had a harsh life. Um, he had a very harsh life. So I think that he was very much a better father than his father, uh -huh. but he wasn't a good father. Uh -huh. no. But he was better. Yeah. He, was, he, he fed his family, uh, he took care of his family, and, and uh, when I became an artist, my father not only resented it, but he was very envious. Uh -huh. He had wanted to be an artist and felt that he couldn't. Uh -huh. And when he retired after 40-some years doing commercial layouts, he, yeah. he really didn't do commercial art. Yeah. He was a layout director. Uh -huh. uh, his work had nothing. Uh -huh. It was just vacuous. Yeah. Uh -huh. It just uh -huh. didn't go. It was, yeah. uh, I think it was disappointing to him, too, mm -hmm. that he couldn't get into it. Because his early work was more interesting. Well, was he excited at all for you when you were having these big shows and openings in the city? Or? His comment to me was, you should be very proud of yourself. Uh -huh. I said, why? He said, nobody ever gave you anything. Uh -huh. And I said, I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. Uh, no. We never really got along. Yeah. We never got we along. Got, yeah. He was never kind and loving. Yeah. He was to his second family. Well, that's just it. You get a sense that this is a harsh place for a kid to grow up, and you remember it really well in yeah, that way. Yeah, well. So how do you become such a kind person? Is it the art? Is it nature? I mean, where does it come from? Uh, your, maybe your mother, some side of your mother there? or Four and a half years of very deep psychotherapy. Four times a week. Uh, four and a half years, four times a week. Uh -huh. With a brilliant psychotherapist. Uh -huh. I mean, I knew I had problems. Yeah. I had previously seen a psychiatrist, a Freudian psychiatrist, who did very little for yeah. me. I got nothing out uh, of that. Yeah. But then I was sent to this guy. And uh -huh. He was um, he was a Hungarian, yeah. Joseph, Giamaci. Uh -huh. uh -huh. And every time he felt I really understood a point he was trying to make, he would look at me and he'd say, your Hungarian's improving. <laughs> Freudian, it reminds me of that Woody Allen joke in, is it Sleeper, when he's fallen asleep for 200 years and he wakes up, he's been cryonically frozen. He wakes up and he finds out he's, you know, he's been asleep for 200 years and he's looking around to see all the things that have happened. He's in the future now. And they tell him he's been asleep and he said, 200 years? If I'd been going to therapy all this time, I'd be cured by now. <laughs> So how does art then come into your life? Not through your parents so much, but it, it, it's there, isn't it? Something that art, uh, yeah. Um, well, I was a literature major. I wanted to be a writer. Yeah. I wanted to be a poet, uh -huh. actually. Yeah. And I was in my senior year. I was at the University of Iowa. I transferred there from Wittenberg after being told to leave uh -huh. Wittenberg. I came to Iowa. Uh -huh. Yes. So you escaped New York to go to Wittenberg in Ohio. In Ohio. Right? Yeah. And then I but, went to Iowa, yeah. and I was just filling out. I got. You need 24 hours in English for a major. Uh -huh. I graduated with 48. Uh -huh. you know, I took everything that I could, seminars. I, every I got permission to, yeah. because of my grades. I could uh -huh. get into. Yeah. Graduate seminars. Yeah, well, you had a pension for literature, didn't you, in language? Uh, yes, yeah, I, yeah. That's, it was my intent to be a writer and, um, and maybe teach literature in college. So did you go to Iowa because it was a magnet for writers at the time? As it became, at least when I was a youth, uh, yes. the, the writers' yeah, college. They had a wonderful, yeah, had a wonderful uh, literature program. department, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, really wonderful. I mean, yeah. I remember t 
taking, uh, studying with John McGalliard, uh -huh. a, a one-year seminar in Dante, it was just uh -huh. thrilling, yeah. because he was a great scholar. Uh -huh. He was, a, you know, and there were many, Baldwin Maxwell taught Shakespeare there. Yeah. It was another one-year seminar. It was very nice. Yeah. It was very, to me, I just drank it up. I, I, and then I, my advisor, when I was registering for my senior year, he said, well, you can't take more literature courses. Take something outside the department. So he handed me this big, thick catalog. Mm -hmm. Accounting, no, art. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, art. It was just <laughs> alphabetical. So anyway, you went to Iowa, and then you decided on art by happenstance. But you, well, you, alphabetical. Yeah, it was uh, in the catalog. Yeah, uh -huh. So I took a course in painting, and the, my guidance counselor said, wonderful, uh -huh. it'd be very good for you. So I went to the art department, got a list of materials to get. I got them. I set up on an easel in the, in the painting studio at the University of Iowa, and I started painting. painting. Now, and boy, I just started painting. So had you drawn or done anything up I'd always draw. Yeah, that's I, I was, what I thought I'd when you were a child. You, I always had a yeah, yeah, talent yeah, for drawing, yeah. and I always loved doing it. Uh -huh. So here I was painting, and so someone said to me, Kipnis, what are you going to do with all those paintings? Because they were really stacking up. I was painting on masonite because uh -huh, it was inexpensive. Uh -huh. yeah. And I had maybe 120 paintings there. And everyone else did two or three paintings a year. Uh -huh. And here I had a, a real stack of paintings. So I just looked at them and I said, Oh, I'm going to have a one-man show in New York. <laughs> they all looked at me like I was crazy. Yeah. And they walked away. Yeah. And I said, Why did I say that? Uh, I really uh -huh. felt embarrassed. Uh -huh. So came... Christmas, or maybe it was Easter, I got by that time it was Easter, I took some paintings under my arm uh -huh. when I came home for the Easter vacation in New York, and I went to uh, 57th Street mm -hmm. to see if there was anyone who'd be interested. Maybe I had to do something because I had said I would, uh -huh. and I don't want to be so, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And lo and behold, the gallery took me on and gave me a show. So was that the 57th Street Gallery? That yes. Tried? Yeah, so it was... In, the heart of the world. Fa yeah, famous, uh, you know, yeah. famous place to exhibit. And so I had a show then. And it was a, a one-man show just starting out. It was out a one-man show. Well, that's, that's astonishing. So and they sold paintings. Uh -huh. And I got reviews in the New York Times, uh -huh. Herald Tribune. Uh -huh. And then that, two years later, I had another show uh -huh. at a better gallery on 57th yeah. Street. And Even so, it wasn't all gravy, was it? It wasn't an easy life. Well, I wasn't making enough money to support myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. And you had to actually ordinarily carry your work to the gallery and show it to them because in those days they didn't use, of course, 35 millimeter slides. Well, they or didn't. Like, yeah. But I wouldn't do that. Yeah. Because it oh, was my yeah. intuition, it was my recognition of the situation that if you sent slides to a gallery, they had a secretary who opened it up, looked at them. If you gave return postage, they returned it to you. If not, they threw it in the garbage. Yeah. And I said, you know, I'm going to go in with paintings. And I would walk into a gallery. And they'd see me with my paintings. And they'd you know, roll their eyes. And I'd say, would you like to look at my paintings? And they would say no. And then I'd put them against the wall. Uh -huh. And what happens? They look at them, <laughs> you know. They don't want to look at them. But if you put the paintings against the wall, they, they look, look at them. them. Well, that's interesting. Good salesmanship. Did, did any, wait a minute. I did that twice a year. Uh huh. Every six months, I did that. I spent two weeks twice a year going to hundreds of galleries. Uh -huh. I literally, because I, I didn't know one gallery from another. After a while, I could see there was the difference between galleries, and some galleries made no sense. But I went to galleries that I had no business going to, huh. like Leo Castelli. Huh. And he looked at my paintings and he said, that's not for me. He says, but I like them. They're huh. very nice. Huh. And he sat on the floor for 45 minutes. Huh. We sat on the carpet and he was discussing my painting. Hmm. This was, I didn't know who Leo Castelli yeah. was, <laughs> but now I do. And I, that was quite an honor. Yeah. Yeah. But he directed me to a gallery which immediately took me on, mm -hmm. and where I had a show, and I was really, it was my third show, but the first two shows didn't really, this really made a dent, this uh -huh. put me on the map. Uh -huh. And I was, my career was begun, yeah. I began to sell to museums, blah, 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 uh -huh. yeah. blah, blah. 
So your upbringing seems to have made you self-reliant, and what was the effect of this on your formal training as an artist? Yeah, well, I didn't have any. You didn't have any. No, you're self-trained. I know. I mean, I I decided to take... uh, I mean, I'd always done some drawing. Uh Never painted, really. And then I took that course as a senior, Uh and I started painting. Yeah. Oh, I'll never forget this. So the the teacher, a nice man, Stuart Eby, uh-huh. he came around and he said, that's very interesting. Let me show you something, Kipnis. And he picked up my brush uh-huh. and I grabbed his wrist with my <laughs> hand and I could, he was an older man and I could feel the bones in there. Yeah. And his eyes went like this, really big. And I said to him, I whispered, I said, tell me anything you want. But don't touch my work. <laughs> don't touch my work. Now, yeah. he, I, I was a kid. Yeah. I was 19 years old. Yeah. In, a, in, in an, an art class. In a university yeah. art class. Yeah. And you know, he, he couldn't understand that. But within six months, I had a one-man show on 57th Street. Uh, uh-huh. So how did the school respond to your one-man show? Were they excited about well, it? Well, that's very interesting, mm-hmm. actually. Um we have a student who's got a show in New York. Yeah. Well, my teacher, uh-huh. Edie, shook my hand and said, congratulations. Oh, well, good. You're going to have a nice future. Yeah. I, I really congratulate you. Lachey, also James Lachey taught there, he went to the chairman of the department and said, we have to make a rule that students cannot have professional exhibitions. <laughs> I mean, he was a real yeah. uh-huh. schmuck. I mean, he was a jerk. And so uh, there was a lot of controversy about it, mm-hmm. which I didn't care about. Yeah. What does the controversy have to do with me? That's them. Yeah. That's them discussing oh, this yeah, among yeah. them. It doesn't have anything to do with me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm making paintings and I'm exhibiting and I'm making a few bucks. Yeah. So do you have any feelings about art school generally? I mean, art education? Uh, well, it was my intent to get an MFA, which yeah. I did and get a job teaching, because I didn't know how I was going to support myself. I was in a class of 22 or 24. Everybody got a job except me. Uh I was the only graduate, and I was the only one who had had professional shows, one-man shows in New York City Uh on 57th Street. Uh None of them had had shows. I was a real professional, a young professional, And they were academics, and they got hired. Yeah, they got good references. Oh, I see. Teachers of art. They got hired. So that's what they were doing. Art schools training people to be teachers. I mean, with an MFA in those days, there was no PhD in this field, and so with an MFA, that was what they called a terminal degree, and you could get a job teaching in universities Uh and colleges, and they all did. Every one of them. Except me. Well, you should thank your lucky stars. You didn't go that way. (laughs) Well, that's true, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's true. And years later, many of them would write to me asking them for help in getting galleries in New York. Oh, uh-huh. And I wrote back and said, there's nothing I can do. Yeah. You have to send in your slides. They don't take on artists because of recommendations. They take them on. It's a business. Yeah. If they can sell your work, they will take it. If they can't, they won't. Mm-hmm. But artists who are struggling to get into exhibitions in New York, think it's who you know. Yeah, There's nothing to do with yeah. that. Maybe here and there someone gets into a gallery, but they don't get a career yeah. because they know somebody. So did you have luck with uh, people writing about your art at all, the critical world? I had some very nice reviews. Well, that's good. So. I had very nice reviews from very good reviewers. Considering the whole art world was, as you say, focused on abstract expressions. It really was. Years, yeah, it was and, very difficult. And everything else was anathema. They don't really do much reviewing. Yeah. Early on in my career, yeah, there were yeah, more reviews. More reviews yeah, yeah. Now there are very few. Yeah. Very few. Yeah. Uh, the Times really had a, a staff of reporters that went around to different galleries. Uh-huh. And they would write short reviews. Guys like... Lawrence Campbell. Yeah. I don't want to skip over the early part of your life. You have such a gift 
for describing interesting people or making people who might not be interesting really interesting. Excuse me, everybody's interesting. Everybody's interesting, If you pay attention. Especially your relations when you were young. And the person that really struck out for me was your Uncle Mark. Not necessarily a nice guy, but an interesting person. He was larger than life. Yeah, he seems seems to talk about Dickens. And he started a business, oh, maybe in the 20s, Mm -hmm. Very early, he went into the lingerie and the hosiery business, women's lingerie. He founded the Blackton Shops, which became a dynasty, an empire. Uh-huh. And he had a, eventually he was able to open a little store down on Broadway, mm-hmm. then a bigger store on Fifth Avenue opposite the public library. Uh-huh. Eventually he had 14 stores. But he was um, enormous in his personality. He employed his three brothers and... Uh, I don't know if they could have tied their shoes without him. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the story of the lunch I thought was wonderful. Yeah. He took you out to lunch. You were working for peanuts for him, right? Well, I, I don't know. I got $6 for a Saturday. Oh, okay. That wasn't yeah, bad. That wasn't bad, It yeah. wasn't terrible. Uh, I was 15 or 16. Uh, so he took you out to lunch. It was a restaurant. I'll never forget. It was called, I think it was on 33rd or 32nd Street, and it was called Major's Cabin Grill. And it was a fancy restaurant. And I'm looking at the restaurant, and I'm saying, Mark, the prices. He said, don't look at the prices. <laughs> I said, Mark, he says, order anything you want. I said, the lobster? He says, whatever you want. I ordered the lobster. It was $5. Uh-huh. He took it out of my pay. At the end of the day. <laughs> you didn't know he, he I didn't you know, were, I didn't know he was going to do that. He took it out. I thought he was treating me alone. He took it out of my pay. I got one dollar at the end of the day. And he called everybody in the family. He called all my aunts, called my mother, and everyone thought of me as just that greedy little pig. I was that greedy little pig. And I said, Well, I paid for it. <laughs> I paid for it. Paid for it yeah. I mean, I just couldn't understand. So the next week he asked me out to lunch again, and I said, I can't afford it. He said, no, I was just teaching you a lesson. I said, you taught me not to have lunch with you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, so I had lunch with him, yeah. and he took it out of my salary. I ordered spaghetti and meatballs. He said, order whatever you want. It was Ricardo's this yeah. time. Oh. Another yeah. fancy restaurant. Yeah in New York, a fancy Italian restaurant. So spaghetti and meatballs for $2. There were places in New York where you could get spaghetti and meatballs in those days for a quarter, Mm -hmm. Romeo's, Mm -hmm. for a quarter, spaghetti and meatballs. This was a couple dollars. He took it out of my pay. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have lunch with him again. So was it Mark that gave you his old suits when you were younger? Yes. And you wore those to school? I wore them to junior high school. I could still fit in them. Oh, uh-huh. In high school, I couldn't, yeah. but in junior high school, I could He was short. He was 5'9". Yeah. I'm not even that now, but I grew to be 5'10 half. Maybe he was 5'6", come to think of it. He was short, but he was, he was a powerful man. He used to swim in the ocean, the butterfly stroke, over uh-huh. Jones Beach. Uh-huh. And you'd see him in the waves, just uh-huh. like a porpoise. Uh-huh. A wonderful <laughs> guy. Yeah. So you went off then to Wittenberg and got away from it all, in a way, and your... Writing about that, it reminds me a lot of, well, of, of the paintings you used to illustrate the town. I suppose it would. But it, it seems almost a pastoral experience, the way you describe it. And well, for it me, I, I went to school also in a rural, Where? midwestern town, uh, Central Michigan University in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. And the way you describe the town that Wittenberg is in, is it Springfield? Ohio? It is. Mount Pleasant's much like that, and that the residential areas, there are no driveways, but there are alleys behind the houses. Correct. And, and there's something about those alleys that just draws you into them. You it's, know, you want to walk back I and walk forth. And walk yeah, and walk and went yeah. back there years later and yeah. sketched them. Tree-lined avenues everywhere. When I went back, it was like walking through my paintings. Uh-huh. So... Uh, I had retained all that. Yeah. So then I, when I was there, I actually uh, did some drawing. Yeah. and I did a whole series of paintings, mm-hmm. of Springfield paintings. And then your painting, it really, for me, has a sense of place about it, even if they're imaginary places, which I don't think they are. Well, um, no, but uh, later they became so. But you have a way of distilling the essence of a place into a, well, a visual you. thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and 
it has a feeling about it for certain, doesn't it? Hard to say what it is about your work there that makes it what it is. I suppose I, I, you know, I did come up with that question, what makes a kipness a kipness? Because I think I could pick one of your paintings out if I were to just see it and not know it was one of yours. Or well, your I'm prints. an artist yeah. like uh-huh. most developed artists. Uh-huh. I have my own style. Yeah. I developed my own style. I didn't do it purposely. Uh-huh. It just evolved as I worked. Uh-huh. And um, it seemed very important to me that I had an idea of what I felt about the experience of looking at the world. Mm-hmm. It was uh-huh. very important to uh-huh. me. And I felt that if I could convey that, it would touch a chord in other people. Because what I experience, what any artist experiences looking at a landscape, is related to what other people feel uh-huh. looking at the landscape. They may not be able to express it, they certainly aren't able to paint it or draw it, but the artist puts it into a, a plastic form mm-hmm. and he organizes it and he can give it a, a personality, his own personality, and if it's strong and intense, people will want to own it. Well, they obviously do, because your work, it seems to sell itself. I mean, you, you, mm-hmm. you, you seem to have really sort of arrived as a visual artist sometime back. And it's the force of the art that does it, isn't it? It's not, it's not yeah, your salesmanship. I think so. As good a salesman as you were back in the old days. It's I don't know if I was much of a salesman. Well, you know, putting your well, pants out so to, people had to look at I sold at myself them. to galleries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They had to sell yeah, my work to, sell to other the public. People. That's true, that's true. Yeah, I mean, so. I never really sold my work. I never really I actually was paid money. Yeah. The gallery sold the work and gave me when I started out, they gave the artist a third. Uh-huh. Then it became half. Yeah. And if you get to a really big-time gallery, which I had a few of, they take 60%. Well, your relationship to your gallerists and the things you have to say about galleries is very positive on the whole, which I find people who are real artists do tend to see what goes into the galleries. They don't feel they're being robbed. Generally, and well, they're uh, working for yeah. to help me. Yeah, they, they are. They're in business, yeah. and they need to make a living, yeah. and they need to find artists whom they feel they like and yeah. can sell, that they can talk about. Yeah. Apart from your sense of place that comes through in your paintings, in your writing, you have a nice sense of people, and especially your gallerists. Uh, you know, um, it seems to me. Well, there were gallerists I didn't relate to, and I didn't yeah. stay with that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I stayed. I stayed with galleries. That I had a connection to, a personal connection to the owner. The Warners, uh, and then of course Carl Lund you write about, Murray Roth you write about, uh, yeah. people that seem to help. Well, those are three that were very important yeah, they, they, in my life. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, Carl Lundy was the first one, he was one of the, he was the first gallery that I went around to and put paintings on the wall and uh-huh. he said he would take them. Uh-huh. And he was very, very, very good dealer for me. But even with the support of these galleries, it became some time before you were able to support yourself as an artist. So you took jobs such as the job you had at the New York Post Office? Unfortunately, I lost my job at the Post Office. The condition of my being hired to work evenings at the Post Office was that when a full-time daytime job opened up, and I was, my name was next on the list, I had to take it or resign because it was a real to get an evening job because uh-huh. it paid so well. Yeah. In those days, it paid. I remember getting two sixty an hour, which uh-huh. was a fortune. Yeah. So you were a mail sorter, right? No, That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I also did other things later on, yeah. just putting mail on a conveyor belt yeah. to people who boxed it, who gave it to the people yeah. who sorted it. New York City blocks are huge, uh-huh. and the post office was an entire yeah. city block. Uh-huh. It was cavernous. Yeah. And in this huge cavern were all these conveyor belts going in one direction or another. It was like something from Piranesi. Uh-huh. <laughs> it really was. It was, it was yeah. otherworldly. Yeah. Unfortunately for them, they didn't have the sense to hire you as an engraver or a stamp maker. You know, I do have an uncle who was employed by the, the uh, Federal Post Office in 
the New York Grand Central office oh, really? to engrave stamps. Yeah, wonderful. They, they hired him right out of the Art Students yeah. League. So uh, people I've known who have worked for the post office have always been really interesting people. You know, well, it was interesting. Yeah. The nighttime part-time workers were actors, uh-huh. opera singers, yeah. uh-huh. all kinds of. It was Artists, it was amazing yeah. from the people in the arts, and they were all economically marginal. So they had yeah. the job at yeah. night. And then you did a little bit of pool hustling also, right? Um, no, I never did not, that. Not, well, not hustling, but... I you, never hustled. I played pool. You played pool. I you played pool for money. Yeah. I played with top players. Uh-huh. And I played in a professional tournaments, uh-huh. three cushion billiards, uh-huh. not oh, pool. Oh, okay. That was, uh-huh. that was yeah. different. And I was very good. Mm-hmm. I remember in the field of uh, 18 pros, I came in fifth. Uh-huh. And these were all professionals uh-huh. and semi-pros. Yeah. Some of them very famous, Jimmy Catrano, uh-huh. Abe Rosen. They yeah. So it seems like whatever you turn your hand to, you do well. I mean, well, thank you. Certainly, well, let's say printmaking. We've been talking about your paintings mainly, but you somewhere along the line moved into printmaking. I did. And, at the at the behest of Murray Roth, oh, he said uh-huh. you'd be a natural. You've uh-huh. got to try it. Yeah. Yeah, and I did, uh-huh. and I loved it. And that's what many people know you for—is your printmaking. Uh, but there's a reason for that. Yeah, and that's because prints, being multiples, yeah. are shown in galleries. Were shown in galleries yeah. all over the country. Yeah, yeah. I think at one time I had fifty-one dealers, uh-huh. and there was no consignment. Yeah. they bought them. Uh-huh. I wasn't yeah. going to consign them. Yeah. Was there a Chicago dealer that used to do sort of a, a massive business? Massive. Yeah, he had fourteen galleries. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Merrill Chase. Merrill, yeah, Merrill Chase. And, and you were a client of his, right? And he, a depend, he was a dependable source of money. Oh, you know? yeah. yeah. He was incredible. Uh-huh. And he bought everything that he exhibited and uh-huh. sold. Yeah. He owned it. Oh, he did. Okay. So yeah. he bought it in bulk. And you don't like to think of it. You know, he'd come to my studio and he'd buy everything. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I wasn't a factory. Yeah. This wasn't. Uh, mass marketing but he'd come from Chicago every two months or three months and buy everything Uh if I made prints he bought the whole edition or half the edition Uh he bought a lot of work and you know I was able to move out of the slum Uh I was living in a slum and I was able to move out Uh a semi-slum really it was uh, so then you didn't become a well-known poet right away, of course. I never did. You never did, no. And that's a difficult, that, that's a, as difficult as becoming well, I was a, a main artist. Yeah. I wanted to, I kept sending volumes of poems to publishers, uh-huh. and they kept sending them back. Yeah. I didn't have the, the willingness to submit individual poems to magazines, to, yeah. to a magazines yeah. literary magazines. Yeah. I just didn't want to do yeah. that. I wanted to publish a volume of poems. In the old days, you had to get published in magazines before anybody oh, else. Oh yeah, I didn't know that. Now it's different. Now we're is it? Self-published now, yeah. So I have friends who are poets who really only come out in book form in collections. They have small presses. I have a weeks. volume of poetry upstairs. But in the early days, you couldn't just publish a book and have anybody no. pick it up. No. So. But then you also have a novella or a novel that you just published recently that our friend Sean published. Yes, for he you, did. Um, um, Shine. And I wonder if you yeah. talk about doing things well. I was really impressed with that work. Were you and really? I'm a literature person. So. Oh, that's very nice. No, very impressed. As impressed as I am with your visual art, honestly. You know, I thought to myself, geez, this guy's really got to start turning these things out. I wish like I hadn't had a, a mainstream publisher. Yeah. Uh, it might have gotten some attention. It didn't get much attention. No, Sean's good at publishing things, but not good at marketing things. Zero. But this struck me like Steinbeck's Pearl. It's the same kind of story, oh, I, honestly. And I, I don't know if you're familiar with that story. Yeah, I am. I'm flattered. It, it has the same kind, of, same kind of sense of what it means to actually not, not have anything. You know, the characters are poor, very, very poor. Yeah. In Shoeshine Boy and his crippled father really having to live by their wits and that means you have to see things and you have to understand things you have to know how to read people and it's the same thing with Steinbeck's Indians uh, you know in the pearl there very poor but really canny when it comes to perception really almost as though you have to be an artist just to live you know Anyway, it's a wonderful book, and probably based to some extent on your own experience, right? Not that you ever had to shine shoes. Oh, I did. Oh, you did. Oh, you you did. Well, I did. Well, that's interesting. I did. Yeah.
Aquaman Forest Hills, and which is where it takes place, uh-huh, I think. Yeah. And uh, Continental Avenue and 71st Street, young people would congregate smoking. Mm-hmm. It was a new thing to smoke, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. And there'd be a shoeshine boy. Uh-huh. And these high school kids, you know, posturing with their foot <laughs> up on the, on, on, on the shoeshine box yeah, uh-huh. and smoking, yeah. and, you know. Yeah, it, it was quite something. Anyway, I, li- I really liked the book. Uh, well, you know, I read you. it twice. So. Really? Yeah, I did, yeah. One thing that struck me about it, because I, I, I went back and read The Pearl again also, was that Steinbeck's Pearl, in his first edition, he has Orozco do drawings for it. He illustrates it. And I know mm. you've done that kind of work as a printmaker illustrating poetry. Yes. So it occurred to me, maybe, maybe you publish a new edition with drawings. I don't know if that occurred to you while you were writing a thing. It did. Because it I, seemed I, I to just, it would lend itself to I, I, it's, it's not the kind of drawings I would want yeah, to That's do. not your, yeah, okay. No, yeah. I did the Rilke book, which yeah. was very nice to uh, do. Yeah. And I did a... Um, Emily Dickinson. Yeah, I did yeah, the Emily famous, Dickinson. Fa- nice famous book. edition it is that, with your... Nice, uh, yeah. With it's your a nice illustrations edition. in it, yeah. Yeah. But not shine, so... Uh, no. Yeah. Well... You can think about it. <laughs> I would do it if someone was... If a publisher approached me uh-huh. to uh-huh. put out an edition yeah. with illustrations, uh, okay. I would do it. Okay. But I'm not... I'm not doing any more publishing. Yeah, no. So, Wittenberg, you got kicked out. Yeah, I did. Uh, so I was po- I was politely asked to leave. <laughs> and this wasn't like Edgar Allan Poe for getting drunk and never showing up for class, right? There were two guys who went on to good careers. One is a reporter, one is a, an amba- a civil service ambassador or something. And they were there was a lot of unrest about the food in the dining hall, and they were conducting an investigation. And I passed them by one evening while they were working on their writing something up about the mess hall. And I said, "Uh, what are you doing? They invited me in. I made suggestions. And then they got the petition. They wrote a petition. Mm -hmm. And so they had three pages for signatures. And one signed it, the the end of the petition, uh, and one signed it sort of in, in the, the middle. middle. <laughs> I said, no one's going to sign it yeah. if you don't sign it. Someone, someone's got to sign it on the first line. Yeah. So I put my name on the first line, and that that got me thrown out of Wittenberg. Yeah, for complaining about the food, basically. Or well, the, the president came to the dining hall. He rattled his spoon against the glass. He, had, he got everyone's attention. Mm-hmm. Everyone was quiet. And he said, uh, we're a family. This is Woodberg. We're a family. And he raised his petition. And he said, we don't come down in the middle of the night and put petitions under the door of the president, which I didn't do. I walked down. I gave it to the secretary. All in favor of my ripping this up, say aye. It was an enormous chorus of aye. All opposed, say nay. And everyone who signed it, no one said a peep. He ripped it up. He put it right on my food. And he and the two deans got up and walked out. There were three of them. Good example for uh, students to see someone like that. Well, I was invited back to Wittenberg by a subsequent president uh-huh. to receive an honorary doctorate. Yeah, after you become a famous artist. Yeah, right? he, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and he said, if we did that to a student today, they would burn down the mess hall. <laughs> well, I was going to say, not even a food fight. You know, he said, so, no, yeah. they would burn it down. <laughs> he said, up, yeah. it would be the. What well, good? It's changed then since the old days. Well, it was yeah. Yeah. 20 years happened. later. Yeah, yeah. Thirty years later. Yeah. And this was in the fifties, or oh, it was forty. Oh, it was earlier. I got yeah, to Wittenberg in forty-eight. Yeah. It was in forty-nine. Forty-nine. Okay, it was. It was forty-nine. Uh-huh. One of the group of three deans who asked me to leave uh-huh. met me when I was was there when I got the honorary doctorate. In fact, I think he had, no, he wasn't president, but he had become president yeah. at one point. Stauffer, Dean uh-huh. Stauffer. Uh-huh. And he had the nerve to look me in the eye and say, I have followed your career very closely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one thing that comes across in the book a couple of times. There are people who 
once you become a name and famous, people who wouldn't have much to do with you early on right. uh, g- gravitate right to you, don't they? And, well, and are your where best they friend. Yeah, yeah. Where, where, where have they been? In, including a girlfriend that you had when you were at Iowa. Was that it? What was her name? The one you tell a story that comes from a wealthy family with the black maid. Oh, yeah. I, I can't think oh, of God. Think She of called name. me up uh-huh. and she said, your success is very seductive. <laughs> She's calling me from Chicago. Yeah. And I said, uh, she hadn't even introduced herself. I said, Leanne? Uh-huh. Is this Leanne? Yeah. Yes, Robert. <laughs> and so she, a few pleasantries, uh-huh. she had the nerve to ask me in that conversation after 20 years, mm-hmm. Robert, mm-hmm. do you make 100000 a year? <laughs> And this was at an opening, she called you, right? You were at an That's opening correct. at the time. That's so they want, she wanted you to leave the opening and come see she her. She wanted yes. me to leave the opening. <laughs> I said, I can't do yeah, that. Yeah. That's so funny. And then the circumstances for when the, the breakup itself, and this is classic. I mean, really is. If you tell the story of your visit to her home in Chicago to meet her parents and what that was like and, and how it the break occurred painful. early on. It yeah. was pa- her father and mother were... They didn't want me around. Yeah, well, you were an artist, a budding artist. I was and, poor. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, they had money. Uh-huh. Her father was a meat distributor. He provided all the top restaurants in Chicago mm-hmm. with very fancy cuts of meat, very fine cuts of meat. Mm-hmm. But uh, they didn't take to you well. And, uh, well, the poverty really upsets wealthy yeah, people. Yeah. but that, uh, Materialistic wealthy yeah. people. The mother says something to the effect that I know about you, right? I mean, oh, yeah, I, I know, I know what your secret is. Uh, whatever she means, who knows? Well, well I know what she meant. Yeah. She had read my letters to uh-huh. her daughter. Oh, uh huh. But so she wouldn't tell me what she knew about me. Yeah. And I looked at her, and I, after a few minutes of I know all about you. Uh-huh. What do you know? And not telling me, I just looked at her and said, Oh. You found out my grandmother was black. She started screaming. Yeah. Uh, oh, really? I mean, she was screaming. She oh, was walking no. oh, around no. screaming. <laughs> and and the, the girl's name was Leanne. So I went into the kitchen to get a glass of water. The black maid was in there, and she was crying. Uh-huh. And she looked at me, and she said, you poor boy. And I felt even smaller. Oh, yeah. I felt even worse. <laughs> what a story. Because she story. thought I was oh, black. Yeah. I, I wasn't black, yeah. but, you know. Yeah, no. But I, I looked at Leanne. I said, does it matter? Uh-huh. She says, is it true? I said, does it matter? Well, evidently it did to them, so... Oh. wow. <laughs> yeah. But there is this thread through everything you tell in this memoir of this kind of dark side of things that you pick up on that doesn't go away. I mean, that, that's a tragic story in a way for the maid, you know? It's very um, painful for the maid. Yeah, uh-huh. Very painful. Uh, and, you know, Shine is very much like that. It's very, it's yeah. very harsh, you know, the way it ends there. But even so, it, you know, there's kind of beauty about it, uh, like the pearl, that, yeah. you know, you, you, you just... You don't want to not have read it. My mother told me something when I was very young. And she called me Bobby when Mm -hmm. I was young. She said, Bobby, I want you to remember something. Don't be prejudiced. Everybody is the same. Down deep, everybody is rotten. It's perfect. It's just what I meant there. It's just what I meant. You, you, you do see the stock side. Even in your art, as I do. But that's a true story. Yeah. But it's, it sums it up perfectly, you know. It really it does. does. I mean, that's, so that was, yeah. she was very cynical about everybody. Yeah. So you don't have great expectations. And I get that sense from you right from the beginning. And actually, in your self-portraits when you're young there, you know, you look at our portrait of someone and, and you think, well, how would I get on with this person? And then I look at your self-portraits and I say, this is not an easy guy to know. No, let me put it differently. This is not, not somebody who suffers fools gladly. No. And, no. Uh, and of course, I always feel like I'm a bit of a fool, so, you know, that makes up. But uh, anyway, the, that there's a serious side to you, and uh, like almost a straight man side. Yeah. Although everything you write has a comedy about it, actually, in some way too. Life. I mean, life. irony, yeah, life, life. yeah, yeah. Life. And the years, yeah. I suppose, uh, you, you get a little distance, and you can see. Uh, it, it was very hurtful to me when my father disowned me. Uh huh. 
Uh, and disinherited me. Yeah, how could it not be? Uh, so now it's as though you're living in one of your landscapes here in Lori's garden. It's beautiful, it? it's yeah. beautiful and, and, and she's a wonderful woman. Well, she, she's, um, I have to say, a consummate biographer, an artist when it comes to that, she you know, is, that, that yeah, genre. She is. I'd like to write another book, but I haven't. You know, I wrote this, I wrote Shine. Yeah. I really enjoy writing very much, but I don't. I paint every day, I draw, I work on copper plates. Yeah. Well, it surprised me because I thought maybe, you know, something is so, so squeezed out, but, you know, it's a literary work. You know, I, I know when I'm reading literature immediately, I have the first paragraph, you oh, know. Thank so, you. Yeah. So, uh, it's... I like the opening. Yeah, me too. The whole thing really draws you in. It moves quickly. Uh, everything about it is essential, like Poe's dictum there, that you don't put something in that doesn't mean anything, because okay. it isn't going to be part of the whole. So you write poetry also, so maybe that's part yeah, of that, I because I, there's a poetic form to the, the novel. Are you interested? Uh, I would give you a book of the oh, poem. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you'd like yeah, to have that it. That would be, be yeah. great. Yeah, be, what be happened was that I had all these poems, you know, manuscripts, I never published any. And then I just went through all of them and edited it. And uh -huh. Someone published a book. Uh, yeah. I like them. Yeah. yeah, I like them. So have you got anything uh, on the hopper now? Are you working on any projects visually? Well, projects? I'm always working. Yeah. I work every day. Uh -huh. I've all, all still my life do, yeah. I've done that. I just concluded having three works in a show at the Metropolitan Museum, uh -huh. which was very nice. Uh -huh. And that was the technique show, right? It was. It was a drawing, a plate, and a print from the plate. And that was nice. What happens is that I have a lot of work, really, in a lot of museum collections. And when the curators put up a show, they look through their archive and see what's pertinent to the theme of the show that they've decided to put on, and they draw from their archive. And so... I'm probably in a lot of shows that I don't even don't know, know about, you're there, yeah. but I know that I've been in yeah. many hundreds of group shows. Yeah, you've had major one-man shows also. I've had right? 30 one, major one-man shows one in museums. New Orleans, it was really a blockbuster. That was huge. Yeah. My God, I had 100 pieces there. Yeah, I saw the video of your talk with the curator on there. Very anyway, nice man. Great interview. It was a good interview. Was it good? So, yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. came off well. He's a very good guy. Hmm. Dan Pearsall was the curator. Thank you, Robert, for appearing on our show today, first of the semester uh, this year, to talk about your book, Robert Kipnis, A Working Artist's Life, published by the University Press of New England in 2011. Thanks very much, and thanks for the invite into your Oh, home thank home you here, for so. coming, and I really appreciate your interest. Uh, okay, great.